This episode is dedicated to Frederick Firestein. Hello, podcast people. You just made my day. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome back to Made My Day, the podcast that celebrates the little tiny wonderful things in life. This is episode 14, brought to you the week of May 20th, 2014, and I'm your host. My name is James Kennison. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for your patience between this and our last episode. I want to tell you a couple things that have made my day recently. One of them, and it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a, it kind of cuts both ways uh, because it's it's a great thing, but it's also something that has caused me to not podcast. Made my day is the return of nobody's listening, the flagship podcast that I started back in two thousand six uh, with my brother, and then various other. Uh, co-host all the way up until uh, October of 2012 when my depression just just made it impossible for me to be able to enjoy uh, podcasting anymore. We have brought that thing back. We've been doing uh, at least four or five, if not six episodes since then, probably exactly the same amount of episodes that we've been missing here on Made My Day. So I apologize for that, but I also hope that you will celebrate with me and jump over there podcast.nlcast.com or look up Nobody's Listening in iTunes. Subscribe and rate it and comment and love it or hate it, but check it out. And um, it is quite a bit different than what you've experienced here. But if you enjoy my humor, then and you want and you think maybe I would like more of that, then uh, go check out Nobody's Listening. It is, it is truly every episode is a, um, is a triumph because uh, it shows that I'm that I'm in recovery, that I'm on my way back to being my old self again. Uh, there are so many great MMD moments between now and and the last time I recorded. Usually, my format is I'll read off you know something out of every single day. This time, I'm just going to go through and I'm just going to read them and share them in no particular order. And then next week. Assuming I get back onto a uh, weekly schedule, we'll start, you know, doing that again. I don't know how important that was to you. If you're sitting there and you're going, oh, my Lord, I cannot listen without knowing what day it happened on, then just hit stop because it's going to bug you. All right, here we go. Um, I, I'll read it right here. Mom and Jenna figure out. Oh, oh goodness. Yes. Okay. I don't know why, but we were talking about Star Wars. Me and the kids and the wife and mostly just Jenna and and, and the mom and me. And um, I was talking about how the only uh, of the of the, the only movie of the original trilogy that I saw in the theater and and it was a dollar theater at that was um, Return of the Jedi. And, and and I was telling them it was a big deal because in the in the paper it said, come see a life-size Jabba the Hut." Well, of course, I didn't, I, you know, barely knew what Jabba the Hutt was. I had heard from other kids. I had seen some of the toys, you know, things, but I didn't know what he was. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what he did, but I knew a life, I knew he was giant and the picture of him in the magazine or in the, in the, in the, uh, one ads there or whatever, the, 
the listings was the exact same shot I'd seen in the posters and things like that. So I was super excited. Well, we get there, first of all, and I'm looking around, and, and it's this dollar theater. And so it's in a mall. It's it's old. It's got those low ceilings. It's It's like dark maroon red with you know everything's really dark and close together and small just like those old theaters used to be and shoved over in a corner and i will give them credit for it it was life-size um was the weirdest god-awfulest looking mess of chicken wire and paper mache you ever saw in your life it was like 15 classes worth of kindergartners got cut loose with uh some some newspaper strips um, some some paint and and maybe some cornstarch and and we're told to create a giant sack of potatoes with a face because that's what it looked like. It was in no way um, reminded me of anything close to anything to do with with Star Wars and and even the bottom, like I said, you could tell it was chicken wire because um, because it wasn't finished at the bottom. The bottom wasn't. You know, wasn't cut or cleaned or whatever. It was just sitting in the corner. I don't even know why they would advertise this thing. I mean, I guess the maybe the the the, the movie guy's daughter and son put this thing together, and they imagined people would want to take pictures with it. I I don't know. I don't know. I doubt it was even strong enough to lean up on. And if you were taking a picture with Job of the Hut, there's really only three places to be. One of them would be up over his shoulder like C-3PO, okay? Like telling him stuff. The other one would be leaning on him like uh, like a slave, like Slave Leia. And then the other one would be in the curl of his nasty little puggy tail, and uh, like, like the little demon dog monster jester dude was. So I always forget his name. But he does have one, believe it or not. So anyway, all that to say... That I mentioned, I was mentioning all this to my family, and I said, My mom, when we got done, my mom was always really kind of, you know, eager to see the devil and and evil things in anything we did that was cool. And uh, and and so we saw this movie, we would come out and we're talking about it. All my mom could say was, Oh, that one guy, that one guy with the melted nose, with melted face. That was just so gross. That was so demonic. It was demonic. It was so demonic. And um, I, for the life of me, tried to think. I was like, Chewbacca? Chewbacca had him? He wasn't scary. He wasn't nothing. And maybe you, like my family, know exactly who she's talking about. But me, at, you know, what, 8, 9, 10 years old, clueless until 32 years later, when one of my, when my wife and my daughter almost simultaneously say, oh, she's talking about Job of the Hut," And I'm like, looking, you think about his nose and his nose is all kind of, it does look, he does look like a horribly scarred burn victim. If you kind of made him in person for a little while. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you guys out geeked me. You did. And um, so, yeah, I suffer now. Suffering silence, knowing 32 stinking years. Seen the movie three dozen times. The unanswerable question, who could she have been talking about? I mean, I was even going back to, to episode, you know, episode uh, four, you know, the first of the three. 
in the in the tavern there, the cantina. When the guy comes up and he's like, "I don't," he doesn't like you. I don't like you either. I have a, a death sentence on twelve systems. You know that guy. He had a melted face. You know he looked like a human with a melted face. Um, I was trying to figure out how Chewbacca had a melted face. Oh, and then and in Empire, no, I guess it was. Yes, you know who I thought it was. Do you remember the guy that was on the Millennium Falcon, uh, right next to um, Billy D. Williams? You know, the guy with the little stripes under his nose going up to his ears. He didn't speak English, but he was a pilot. I thought she was talking about that guy. And I couldn't figure out how he was demonic. But, you know, with my mom, anything could be demonic just because she decided it was. So it really threw me off. But, no, it's um, it's Job of the Hut. Job of the Hut's demonic, and he had a melted face. So, anyway, there you go. That made my day in the opposite direction. I felt like a loser. But uh, I was kind of proud of my family, so there you go. Um, I was in my daughter's room the other day. I put up shelves up uh, around her ceiling. They're about three inches deep, and it allows her to put trophies and things like bobbleheads and things like that up there. And um, I noticed that my wife had given her her collection of Barbie dolls. Back in the day, my wife used to collect Barbie dolls, never took them out of the package or anything. But uh, And it wasn't a... A strong collector thing. It was mostly me trying to help her collect things, really. Uh, so it was neat seeing them up there because Jenna will will appreciate them and take care of them and and never take them out of the box. And they'll grow bitter and and hateful and concoct a plan to get in a Japanese toy you know museum like in Toy Story Two. But uh, other than that, it's going to be great. But I noticed one in particular. All the boxes are in mint condition except for one. And it is the Metro uh, Hip Barbie or something like that. This is just some $4 Barbie version, you know. Um, and it's all it's all roughed up. And the reason why it's seeing that made my day is I got to tell our story. And I told her, I said, you don't understand. That, that one right there is special because there's a young man, my best friend's son. My best friend's son's name is Nick. And on his eighth birthday, um, I knew he was going to have a lot of friends over. And so I purchased, wrapped up, and gave him a Barbie doll for his birthday. And there's a little bit more to it than that because um, once I wrote a song called When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a Barbie Doll, and I wrote it to make boys laugh, okay? Um, it's just, I, and the way I do it is I find a really tough boy in the crowd that can handle the joke, and I, I tell them that this young man has written this song and wanted me to share it with all of you. And then, you know, I start singing, when I grow up, I want to be a Barbie doll. When I grow up, I want to be 12 inches tall. I want a pool so I can swim. I want a boyfriend who's named Ken. When I grow up, I want to be a Barbie doll. And so it's supposed to be really funny. Well, when I did it to Nick, at eight years old, or five years old, four years old, I don't know how old he was. He was, he was not four. But he cried. <laughs> so it kind of backfired. But after that, we just kept making fun of him. And so on his birthday, when I got him a Barbie doll, it was uh, it was not good on the on the just on the grounds that his friends were there, um, but also because it meant something <laughs> horrible. So when he opened it, he threw it across the room. Well, I uh, I took it back, and every year, till that boy graduated from high school and left home, he got that same Barbie doll from me. <laughs> I didn't care if I had to ship it. And so I still have it. And um, 
if he ever gets married or anything like that, I should probably send it to him. But I may just wait until he has his firstborn son. And his firstborn son is having his eighth birthday, surrounded by his friends. And then I will I will strike. And I will give him the Barbie doll. So my, my daughter now has a whole new appreciation for this ghetto-looking, jacked-up-looking boxed Barbie that's never been out of the box, but has been thrown every single year <laughs> for at least a dozen years. It took a lot of, uh, lot of discipline and consistency to pull it off. So that made my day when I saw that. Um, this has been a while, but my daughter did her first talent show. And not only did she do it, she did it by herself. These girls had all come together and said, hey, we should do something from Frozen, which is what every other group of girls in the school said they were going to do. And so I was like talking to Jenna, and I said, Jenna, you know what? If You can, you can do this thing. Or you can win this thing. You know, you can win one of the top three, you know, first, second, or third place deals. Because they'd always judged it and made it a big competition. I'll go ahead and save you the ending. They they didn't compete this time, which I think, honestly, was great. Even though I think she would have placed. Uh, I said, if you want to place, here's what you do. You don't just sing the song. You need to make up motions for the song. And not just motions, like moving your hands around or some kind of dance is you should take these sticks and put them in your hands, these dowel rods, and uh, they'll, they'll extend your arms, make your arms look about twice as long, and you can do these symbols and stuff. Well, anyway, me and her choreographed, mostly her, but I helped her with a couple of things, and she choreographed this entire routine to the song um, Let It Go from Frozen. She went and got a little dress, and I sewed little icicles um, out of some sort of material. Uh, onto each of the sticks so they look like, you know, the icicles were hanging off of them. And uh, she got up there and she um, she did their, she did her thing and um, the kids were into it and there were, there was, there was another girl that sang, but again, she didn't move. She just sang it. And my daughter sang it and did the motions, all kinds of stuff. I was so proud of her. And, uh, and, and, you know, the kids in the crowd who had been sitting there for an hour, you know, really got into it, even clapped during part of it, you know, in rhythm and, and the whole thing. So I was very proud of her. I'll have a link to the video of the thing um, in the show notes. How about that? I'm going to write that down. Link in show notes. It's, uh, it's hilarious because one thing we didn't plan on, and this is just me not thinking – we weren't planning on the microphone being in the way. I'm used to having a headset when I was doing children's ministry stuff. And I'm also used to them having labs, which are the little little clip-on mics, you know, for your... So, so I told her to back away from the microphone a bit to do a routine. And she found out pretty quickly that the microphone wasn't going to pick her up. So she did quickly adjust on the fly, got up there, stood up to it, and sang it and, and did her thing. And um, and it was good. It was good. She's got a good voice. Um, if you want an extra little fun time, go uh, when you go to YouTube, scroll down and read the comments from the hateful little girls that are on YouTube. I, I would never have known 
that such beasties, little beastie mean girls existed. But some girls like, you know, yeah, I could sing better than you, and I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And, and then a whole bunch of other girls attacking her, and then somebody else saying something about Jenna, and da-da-da-da. I almost erased it all, but I was like, no, Jenna, Jenna wants to be famous. She wants to, you know, have her her videos out there. She wants to do podcasts, things like that. She's got to know about this. And it, and it's weird because when she was doing Podcast Kid, when she was really young, there was none of this. But now these girls are getting older. But I, I do ask them the question, why in the world do they have uh, YouTube accounts and, and Google accounts, you know, uh, emails? I don't know. What are you doing? You're seven, you're eight, you're nine years old. You're not supposed to be un, un you know, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it blows my mind. So anyway, go down there and check that out. Matter of fact, Jenna and I are planning on starting up uh, Podcast Kid again, which is a show I used to do with her. I started, I think, two weeks before she turned three. And we did it for years and years. And uh, and then stopped in October 2012. And uh we recently got some sponsorship, and we're going to try to get that thing back up off the ground. And the first thing we're going to talk about is that deal right there about mean girls and what the deal is with with that age group. Because one of the things I wrote in the comments, I actually did respond, which is usually something I don't do. But I wrote and I said, "Is it possible? Is it absolutely? You know, because there's all these comments about her. She's terrible, and I'm great, and I'm better, and she's not. And I, I'm like, is it possible?" within the realm of possibility that there are more than one peoples that can sing this song in a very awesome way. Is it possible that my daughter could have done a good job and it have absolutely no reflection on your ability to also perform or do something from this, from this movie. And, uh, I think it went right over their heads. I haven't had any responses to it or anything like that, but you know, obviously, my daughter doing well uh, made them feel like crap, which is ridiculous. I was like, I, I wasn't here. I didn't put it up to offend anybody. I put it up because I'm proud of my daughter. She didn't do it. I did. So holler at me. <sighs> so I think on the last couple of shows, I was talking about my stand-up desk. Well, it's been quite a few weeks later, and I have indeed set up and bought and set up and set up and bought a uh, from Ikea and bits and pieces of Ikea my standing desk. And I am using it right now, and I've been podcasting on my feet for the last six weeks and stuff, and it is awesome. I think it makes all the difference in the world. Um, you, you burn close to 300 calories uh, just standing. Just standing while you're doing your work and things like that. I do have a stool that allows me to transfer my huge amount of weight over to that. Give me a break here and there. But uh, it's funny when I get concentrating and I'm and I'm not paying attention. Like right now, when I'm concentrating on speaking or sharing, um, my feet, my legs, whatever, doesn't bother me at all. It's great. And it's uh, it's a little bit close to exercise, which I'm trying to do. Speaking of which, I am, uh, oh, 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 uh, the standing desk. If you're interested in that, I'll have a link in the show notes to um, some pictures and uh, the process and even how, even a shopping list if you're interested in going to Ikea and buying some of your own stuff. It'd be awesome. Um, speaking of trying to get in shape, I have been running and walking. At least I tried to. And it uh, turns out, 
long story short, I've got shing- shingles. <laughs> I haven't had shingles. Uh, I've got shin splints, and it's it's terrible. It's just a fancy word for my shins are absolutely torturous when I try to run, um, and even to a certain extent when I try to walk. And it comes from having overdeveloped calf muscles and then underdeveloped, you know, the front side muscles. And and I've been doing exercises and trying to work on it. I bought some special shoes and all this kind of stuff. No, they're not moon boots. They're they're just normal sneakers, but they have support, you know, in the right places and and all that. So while I'm trying, because my goal, I would love to run. I would love to to walk because that would give me time with podcasts because I do not have time to listen to shows anymore. I used to have a 40-minute commute. I've got five minutes. That's hardly even enough time to get you know things going on a show. So I don't really listen to a whole lot unless I'm mowing the grass. So uh, I would love to uh, be able to walk or run. In the meantime, came up with a bright idea. Hey, I'm going to get on a bike. I used to bike 22 miles a day, five days a week when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And uh, so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do that again. And there's no, I, I tried it out I, on, a, on a sample bike at the bike shop. It's perfect. It's great. It's not going to hurt me um, in any, you know, abnormal way. Uh, aside from just, you know, the, the pain of, of stretching and working muscles and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to that. They've ordered my bike. It should be coming in in a week and a half. So um, that kind of makes my day that I finally found something that I want to do. Um, I was inspired by The Oatmeal, which is a webcomic. It's a guy that does a webcomic on the Internet. And he talks about how he runs and exercises, and he doesn't do it for the health benefits he does it so he can eat whatever he wants and i was like you know what that sounds good so i will i will get on that bike and i will ride and ride and i will work on my um you know my shins and try to get them working properly so i can do that too but it's made my day that i finally found something that i can do and yeah i'm 40 almost 41 uh, but it's never too late to go ahead and get in shape and so I, you know, I want to live for a while. I, I would like to. It's an idea. Oh, I, I switched to a new haircutting place, and uh, that was nice. I told me I made my day. I was at Fantastic Sam's, and I was thinking I was getting a good haircut, but they were rushing through it so fast, hurt, almost hurting me, pushing that, that shaver through my head so so much because you know they're just so desperate, I guess, to get the next customer. Um, and they're in competition with each other too. Is, is is you know? So if you're sitting there cutting a guy's hair, which is a cheap haircut, and a lady walks in, which is an expensive haircut, if you're cutting the guy's hair, you you're you're in a disadvantage. You know, you're at a disadvantage. So uh, they always try to race through it. But I switched over to another place. It's more of a salon. I'm paying a tiny bit more, but not significantly more. My new hairdresser is a Doctor Who fan. She says, what have you been up to? And at the time, I was writing my book, and I didn't want to be all like, well, I'm writing a book. So <laughs> I didn't say anything. Um, but but having a decent haircut, oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh, she takes her time. It's done well. It doesn't. It, I don't feel like I'm putting her out. It, it does. It's a, it's a small thing that is a very wonderful thing. In a life where there weren't very many wonderful things, Haircuts are great. So, 
Um, but speaking of my book, unfortunately, there there's a little bit of bad news when it comes to the book that I was writing called Bad Hero. Whew. I found out that I um, I have some talent in the writing area. I just don't have very much skill, meaning I didn't understand the basics of a story arc about scenes, you know, scene one, scene two, scene three. I understand about, you know, um, themes and characters and, and all this. So I have kind of backed way off. I worked really, really hard for a very, very long time on trying to learn all of that stuff. And I got it in my head, but I, I have to I had to back away from it because it was so academic and it was so so much in my head that I wasn't able to be creative within it. So I have been um, watching movies and television shows and reading books and pulling out these elements and kind of classifying them, like diagramming a sentence back in high school. And I'm trying to teach myself how to do this. I do have a mentor. His name is Ethan and he is a writer and uh, an author and, and, and a creator. And all this came out of a, of a very negative experience, which was actually a really awesome experience. And I'll, I'll share that with you now. Um, because it was probably one of the reasons I couldn't do the, <laughs> do the podcast for a little while. But um, no, my friend calls me up or emails me. He says, hey, I'm working on, um, I'm doing some stuff for, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, DreamWorks. I'm doing some stuff for DreamWorks. Uh, it's going to be a show that's going to be exclusively released on Netflix. It's called Veggie Tales in the House. And, uh, and we need we need a writer because Mike Nelson uh, of Mr. Science Theater 3000 was working with them and he got another job doing um, some riffing stuff, uh, I believe, for Netflix too, a show where him and the old gang are getting together. And Doug Tenable from, um, you know, Cat Scratch and, and, and Earthworm Jim and The Neverhood, he was on there as the head writer. And so Ethan is like going to move into Mike Nelson's place. And then he wanted me to come in and and write uh, in his place. So he's like, "Yeah, do some, you know, hit me some pitches for some ideas for some shows. Here's the basics of it." Da, 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 da. And I wrote up a bunch of stuff and I worked really hard on it. I sent it in and immediately. It was like I could just tell he was like, "No, this isn't this isn't what I'm looking for." He says, oh, "It's great ideas, but you're missing." this beat and you're missing that beat and there's no scene two and and there's really no thing at the end and blah 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 and i realized really quickly that i had a lot of creativity but i did not know what in the world i was doing i didn't even know there was something i didn't know i wasn't doing you know what i'm saying and so he has directed me to a book called um save the cat which is a screenwriting book but applies to storytelling in general and seems to be like the Bible for storytellers uh, or screenwriters. And um, in, in this uh, book, it teaches you really how to fill in the blanks of a good story. And, and at first I hated it because I'm like, oh, there's a structure and that limits my creativity. And it's not that the guy went and made up a structure that everybody follows. It's more, more like what he did is there was a, there was a structure but it wasn't named and and graphed out, and he did that. And so I have backed way off of writing. It has become something that I am still preparing to do. 
I'm reading a lot. Like I said, I'm 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 going through say I've gone through State of the Cat like the Bible, and I've memorized almost everything in it. And um and to where I can watch a movie and pull out the beats. There's 15 beats in every every movie. Uh, you know, an opening scene. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a theme stated, a setup, uh, a catalyst. You know, break into two. You know, there's all these different titles or whatever for all these beats, all the way down to the finale. And I can do that. Matter of fact, we, me and a friend, uh, his name's Christian. We went out and saw Spider-Man Two, uh, the new, the new one. And um, I was able to pull out every beat right there. Boom, 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 boom. It was awesome. I was wrong on a couple. But then when the real ones happen, I was like, oh, there it is, there it is. So uh, there's, there's two made my days. So, so all, all in all, here's what it is. I didn't make, I didn't get the job. And it, it burned me. I mean, it, it hurt me. But, but by the time I didn't, by the time I accepted it, and, and I accepted it, the fact that it was going to happen before he even told me, I was kind of happy because I'm like, okay, even if I, brainstorm which I did I, I for a whole weekend I crammed and tried to learn this structure and tried to rewrite stuff and send it to him and he's like nah it's just not it's just not there yet but I do want to help you is what he said I want to mentor you and all this and it was awesome but by the time I I got told no I was I was happy cuz even if I was able to get myself up to the point where I could write these pitches after that, then I had to do an outline. And then after that, I had to actually write scripts and I had to do it in a certain format, which I wasn't familiar with. So again, you know, maybe some skill or not skill, but maybe some creativity, maybe some ability, but I just didn't have the raw skills. I don't have the book learning part of it down. So I'm working on that. And, um, so in a, in a weird way, that definitely made my day because here, here I went from nobody to a guy that almost got to write for VeggieTales, for DreamWorks, for Netflix. And, um, and so I, I really appreciate that opportunity. Um, but like I told my daughter, imagine if, if they pulled, they said, we want 10 of the smartest kids in our school. And, uh, and you were one of the ones picked. Wouldn't you feel special? So she said, yes. And then she said, well, I said, what if they said, well, now we only need three. And you were, you were left as one of the top three people in your school that's considered the smartest kids. She said, yes, I would, I would feel special. And then, of course, if you got, if you got told we need one and you're not it, well, how would you feel? And she said, oh, I'd, feel, I'd feel sad. It's like, but what if you found out that the job that they wanted you for was to work a backhoe where you were digging in the dirt and, and they said, yeah, I just figure it out. She goes, oh, that, that wouldn't, be, <laughs> wouldn't be very fun at all. And, uh, and I said, exactly. And that's exactly what this was like. Is It was an honor to have been selected. I was one of three um, it was, it was an honor that he thought I had the, you know, the ability, obviously I came across like I had a little bit more than I did. And, um, but, but at the end of the day, I was relieved not to have to do it because it's, it was definitely beyond my ability. Uh, so 
Yeah. Made my day in the fact that it showed me I don't know anything about writing and that the book that I was really thinking about going out there and just pushing and publishing and self-publishing is crap. <laughs> uh, it's it's a good read for if you're eight, um, but it's not it's not it doesn't have the structure. And if you were to read it as a grown person, you would you would realize that you would probably see some holes in it. I wrote it as if it were a story that I was telling you. You know, like here's what happened in the order it happened in, and I think. Personally, I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that kind of story f- could fly, with, especially with a kid, but uh, with the kid market. But with the advent of Harry Potter and, you know, the young adult and um, middle reader, you know, thing just really taking off the way it has, um, kids and, and people exp- and, and authors, I mean, not authors, but uh, publishers expect um, a better type of story. Because you go back and read uh, Mary Poppins, like I did recently. I read the first two. Um, and it's just a series of little short stories of things that happened when Mary Poppins came into Michael and Jane and the twins' life. And um, there's no overarching story. Um, you know, it has, you know, it's it's interesting to go back and watch the movie and know all the little pieces that they wove into the movie because they had to make up a lot of stuff. And I can see why P.L. Travers didn't like it because she didn't write that. She didn't write anything like that. There was nothing about the dad and the bank and the whole deal. Um, It was about the kids and it was about Mary Poppins. So my book was a failure. (laughs) And that's okay. It's okay. I did read the book to my daughter and she absolutely loved it. She hung on every word and... When we got to, um, you know, se- chapter seven, eight, and nine, where there's this big reveal and this big twist, she reacted and responded, you know, legitimately and authentically in all the right places. But she asked me because she had looked around and seen that some books had um, dedications in them, and she says, "What? Who would? Who would your dedication be to?" And I told her this. I said, "Thanks to my daughter." who was the first to hear this story and loved it the most. And she melted. So that made my day. Uh, I've written a bunch of articles. Um, Every time I write something and publish it, again, it's a mini triumph. Um, I wish to God I could focus on one topic and really just nail it, you know, and become the the guy to read if you want to know about such and so. But... It's just not the way I am wired. So I'll read to you a um, a list of things that I've I've done, and there will be links to all of these things in the show notes over at mmdcast.com. I wrote an article on the difference between being depressed and having depression. Um, in a nutshell, being depressed is something a lot of people are. You know, something happens, you're sad about it. Your wife dies. You're you're kid breaks his leg you move you have a baby um and then and then having depression is the major depressive disorder basically where you nothing happens you know um and still you feel like everything in the world is wrong so uh, it's an interesting read and then i wrote an article called why i'm defensive about my depression where i go through line by line and respond to an email response i got from a local pastor 
when I reached out for help um, and asked if we would be accepted in his church, even though um, I was uh, struggling with this this issue and and being medicated for it. Uh, he was not very positive in his response, and um, it, it's it's really more of an exercise in me getting out my feelings. And um, not all of the comments have been positive. Some people took his side, and um, and that's just fine. Um, if you go to helpimachildrenspastor.com, you'll see that I've written a thing called Children's Ministry, A View from Outside. And uh, as many of you know, I was a children's pastor for the better part of 13 years, and I have not been for the better part of a year, uh, actually a year and a, and a month maybe. And um, so I, I kind of just write. We've been through a lot of other people's children's ministries now, visiting, trying to find a new church. I've experienced a lot of check-in lines, a lot of uh, volunteers, a lot of styles. And I kind of write an article just saying, these are the things that, as you know, somebody on the other side, now that I'm a parent, these are the things that I'd like to see in a children's ministry. And the things I would change about mine were I to jump back into that um, space. If you go to jameskennison.com, you're going to read um, just a short comedy piece I did called I Am Anti-Spider. Because all these people... On the internet, are like they love spiders. Spiders kill things and all this kind of stuff. And I, I'm just not a fan. So you can read about that. Um, over on uh, podcast.nlcast.com, if you click on uh, podcasting, you'll find an article called Podcast Structure. And it really just all I did is I took the Save the Cat concept and I applied it. To the podcast. When you're coming up with your podcast idea, how to really find out do you have an idea that you're going to be able to sustain? Do you have something interesting and unique if it's, a, if it's an idea that's been done before? And um, it helps you write what I call a log line, or not what I call it's what's called a log line. When you hear about a movie and then they say, This is the story of a man fighting for his daughter. In a you know desert wasteland, um, you know, but he can overcome if he has the power of the force or whatever. That's a logline, and so I made up a logline with a lot of blanks and um, help you to fill them in. So if you're a podcaster, you're you're like I'm trying to find a a theme or a topic. Uh, go through and check it out. Even if you have a show already, it helped me. Um, even on, on Nobody's Listening, to go through and put that thing together and really re- try to it help me sterilize and get down to the basics what I what I needed to say in a log line so, and what my show is about. Um, one more thing is uh, due, due to the requests of, a, of an Eric Fisher. He's a fellow from, um, that I know from YouTube and from podcasting and things like that. Uh, he put it. Uh, he put a request out. He loves bacon, and he says there needs to be um, a parody, a bacon parody of "Do you want to build a snowman?" And I was like, okay. And I sat on that for about a week, and then suddenly one day I got inspired, and so I wrote a frozen parody song, "Do you want to cook some bacon?" Um, to to that song. It was very hard to do. I had to really manipulate the music a bit because if you remember in the movie, that's the scene where the parents pass away on the boat 
and um and so I had to edit all that out and all this, but I used the original music and and kind of sang myself and uh it's the story i i used I used to save the cat thing I didn't just do a parody, I told a mini story it's the story of a guy whose marriage falls apart because of his obsession with bacon so um again, that'll be in the show notes at m m d cast dot com um Let's see. Oh, I found. Well, I was, I was, you guys know I I lost my um, hard drives a while back. I restored most of them, but a lot of the content is in these unfiltered, unfoldered, just dump files. Just these big files full of like I'm not kidding, six hundred thousand files. And it's ridiculous, and I'm trying still every every week or so. I jump in there and I pull a few out and I delete a whole bunch of of crap little files because it treated every file the same whether it was a wave file and an mp3 or a, just a janky little settings file it's all in this one thing but i found a song that i'd written and performed called other dunder and it was from the old days of nobody's listening when my son when my son was born i had a dream that there was a twin to my son and we, he had been living in behind the uh, washing machine and dryer. And I believe he had a mustache and he could talk. And and it was a horrible dream because he was a beautiful, awesome child, even with the, with the mustache. But he had somehow been forgotten for the three or four months that my other son had been taken care of. And so it was like, oh my gosh, we we're the worst parents ever. It was that kind of dream. And, um, so I wrote a song called The Other Dunder Song, and it basically you know, is, a, is a song to him as if he really existed and then disappeared. And so I will try to have a link to that in the show notes um, wherever I have it posted. But basically it's, um, it's, it's a comedy thing. It's pretty funny. And, uh, you know, you, you make me wonder... Why doesn't my son have you for a brother? You know, that's kind of the, the little break at the end. So, I don't know. Check it out. <laughs> MMDcast.com. See if you laugh. Let me know. There's this thing that I, that really got me the other day, and it's old, but um, it's really, really funny. It is a classic banter back and forth between a clueless person requesting a design and a designer trying to make a point about how clueless the person is about what they're requesting. If you've ever done art for anybody, um, there's two kinds of people, and there's the kind that trusts you and, and they want what's best, and they, uh, they're they almost afraid to ask for anything, and you have to kind of pull it out of them. And then there's the kind that are real demanding and they want what they want and what they want is dumb or it's impossible or they don't understand and they don't even understand why it's impossible and so this little thing back and forth with this designer guy absolutely hilarious the premise is a lady says hey i that she works with him apparently in in the same office so she should know better but she writes and she just says i need a poster and here's a picture and it needs to say lost cat or something like that. And she, she gives absolutely no description. It's very vague. And he does his best job to help her realize <laughs> uh, that she is uh, she's not giving the information that he needs. 
So go over there and uh, to MMD Cast and look for Designer Guy Helping Lady with a Lost Cat. I guarantee you, you will laugh your butt off. And it did make my day, even though I had seen it, you know, years before. Um, I got and read the book Bad Island by Doug Tenaple, and I'm telling you, it's been one of my favorites. Besides Tommy Source Rex, uh, we have found the magic of the library, and uh, Bad Island was just a good, good story. So if you ever get a chance, it's a graphic novel. It reads very quickly. That's the only. That's really the only tragedy about his graphic novels is they read so quick. I force myself to slow down and just really look at the pictures because I imagine how long it took him to draw every single one of them. Um, by the way, I hear talking about MMD moments. I hear that that um, Tommy Source Rex is being made into a film. So that's going to be absolutely awesome. Let me see about reading a couple of your things here. J.S. Monroe says, I was leaving work on a day that decided to be unique and rain instead of snow, and it was raining hard, but as soon as I stepped out the door, the rain stopped. And it started just as soon as I got in the car. Anyway, it made my day, and even though I got soaked when I got out at home, meh. So, J.S. Monroe, thank you so much for that. Yeah, it is cool when that happens. Um, most of the time for me though, when it rains, I got umbrellas, but, um, when I, it rains, it's always in the wrong spot. It's either in the garage when I'm in the car or in the car when I'm in the garage. Fred says, hi, James. I work for a large global company, which has offices in London. It's been my pre- pleasure to visit there several times. And what makes that makes my viewing of Dr. Who even more special when they show locations that I've been to or recognize. As a matter of fact, our main office in the Canary Wharf section of London was shown during the Dalek invasion. Anyway, one of my co-workers in London made my day today. He knows I'm a Doctor Who fan, and he ended an email with a Dalek drawn as ASCII art. Very cool. Greetings to all your listeners who are also Doctor Who fans. Fred. Now, if you don't know what ASCII art is, it's, it's art made out of characters on your keyboard. Um, we used to do it in keyboard class when the teacher got sick of teaching us. She would give us a sheet of directions and tell us to type certain things and space certain things, and it would turn into a picture. Well, um, there's still folks that do that on the Internet. ASCII, A-S-C-I-I. It's all caps. Get in there and check it out. Kurt says, what made my day was when you talked about the 90-day novel. I've been working on a story for a long time now, and reading the 90-day novel, I was able to think about the story in a whole new way, and I'm looking forward to finishing the first draft within 90 days. It was a huge help, so thank you for introducing me to the book. Man, speaking of which, I might just do that. might just do that and go back and let that thing hold my hand all the way through. Hello, James. It's JJ here with another MMD moment. Well, at my church, we have this thing called Awana, just like it's spelled. It's where kids recite verses, have a council time, play games. There's an event called Awana Quizzing where kids from a team have a coach, and they get a pack of cards to study for about a month, and the churches from around the area get together for a friendly challenge. We were against three other teams, and we won, and that made my year. Thank you, James, for this wonderful podcast. Even through the rough times, you make my decade, JJ. So thanks, JJ. We appreciate it. Before we go, I have one request. There's a brand new thing. It's called Patreon. Patreon.com slash MMDcast. I wish that you would go there and consider supporting this show on an episodic basis. Patreon basically gives you the opportunity to give a certain amount 
per show. It motivates me to put out quality content, and it helps you because there are rewards built in into the structure. Go over there and check it out. You know you're curious. Patreon.com slash MMDcast. Since podcasting is become my main source of income, the closest thing that I can consider to employment, you'd be really doing myself and my family a favor. Uh, My goal is to get $10 per episode. And now that's not from one person. That's that's from a lot of people doing a quarter an episode, 50 cent an episode, a dollar an episode, two bucks an episode. Um, And, and, you know, anyway, go check it out. There are rewards built into it. There are there are goals that we'd like to meet at certain levels. So um, it's one thing that's helped me to get podcast kit off the ground. It helped me uh, to do nobody's listening again. And now it can help me here at uh, Made My Day. So go over there, patreon.com slash mmdcast, or just go to mmdcast.com, and there'll be a link there. Uh, What has made your day recently? What has meant something special to you? I want to share your little, tiny, wonderful moments with everyone who listens to this show. So email your moments to mmdcast at gmail.com. Those in three or four sentences have the best chance of, uh, you know, getting read. Visit us online at mmdcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at nlcast. Uh, you can like Make My Day podcast on Facebook and leave us an iTunes review if that's how you found us. And uh, remember, check us out, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash MMDcast. Guys, I hope that every day you find the one thing that makes your day. Peace. Peace.